Section 15 of A Dozen Ways of Love. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James McAndrew, San Francisco, California. A Dozen Ways of Love by Lily Dougal. The Soul of a Man. Chapter 2 The man of science, Skelton by name, passed some seven days in business and pleasure at home among men of his own class, and then, impelled by an intolerable curiosity, he went to seek the home of the woman with whom he had so strange a meeting. Concerning the mad delusion from which he had suffered in her presence, his mind would give him no rest. Some further effort he must make to understand the cause of an experience which he could not reason from his memory. The effort might be futile. He could form no plan of action, yet he found himself again upon the high road which led from the nearest station to the village of West Chilton. The autumn leaf that had bedecked the trees was lying upon the ground, its brightness soiled and tarnished. The cloud rack hung above, a vault of gloom in which the upper winds coursed sadly. This is the field, said Skelton within himself. The ploughman has finished his work but the crows are still flapping about it. I wonder if they are the same crows. That is the clump of weeds by which she sat. It was as red as flame then, but now it is colourless as the cinders of a fire that is gone out. His words were like straws, showing the current of his thoughts. Just then, in the west, the cloud masses in the horizon being moved by the winds, rent asunder, exposing the land to the yellow blaze of the setting sun. The distant hills stood out against the glow in richer blue, and far and near the fields took brighter hues, warm brown of earth, ready to yield the next harvest, yellow of stubble lands at rest, bright green of slopes that fed the moving cows. There were luminous shadows, too, that gathered instantly in the copses, as if they were the forms of dryads, who could sport unseen in the murk daylight, but must fly under each shrub for refuge in the sudden sunshine. Close at his feet lay the patch of cabbages, purple cabbages they were, throwing back from each glossy leaf and stalk infinite gradations of crimson light. Parts of the leaves were not glossy, but were covered with opaque bloom of tender blue, and here and there a leaf had been broken, disclosing scarlet veins. They were still beautiful. Skelton stood looking down into the depth of their color. It had been difficult for him to conjecture a possible cause for the phantom he had thought he saw a week before. But one theory which had floated in his mind 
had been that from these cabbages which had lain a trifle too long in sun and moisture gases might have arisen which had disturbed his senses it was true that his theory did not account for other instances of the same optical delusion to which the talk of the ploughman had seemed to point but skelton could not bring himself to attach much importance to his words he meditated on them now as he stood i dare not go to the young woman and ask her to show me her shadow if she knew i was here she would only try to defeat my purpose i can only interview her neighbours and this first rustic whom i questioned shut himself up like an oyster if all the rest act in this way what can i do and if i can hear all the vulgar superstition there is to be heard will there be in the whole of it the indication of a single fact so he mused by the roadside while the sun hung in the dream temple of fire made by the chasm of cloud then the earth moved onward into the night and he walked on upon his curious errand the darkness of evening had already fallen and he was still about a mile from the village when he discerned a woman coming towards him on the road it was the very woman about whom his mind was occupied there was a house on one side the gate leading to it was close to him and not wishing to be recognized at the moment he turned in through it to wait in the darkness of some garden shrubs till she had passed but she did not pass she came up walking more and more slowly till she stood on the road outside the gate she looked up and down the road with a hesitating air and then clasping her hands behind her leaned back against a heavy gate-post and composed herself to wait there was light enough to see her for there was a moon behind the clouds and also what was left of the daylight in the west was glimmering full upon her the house was close to the road apparently an old farmstead turning blank dark walls and roofs to them so that it was evidently uninhabited or else inhabited only at the other side the young woman looked up at it apparently not without distrust but even to her keen scrutiny there was no sign of life for the rest the road lay through a glen the village was out of sight and the hills around them were like the hills in hades silent shadowy and cold it seemed an unearthly thing that she should have come there to stand and lean against the gate as if to shut him into his self-sought trap and there was no impatience about this woman she stood quite still in that dark desolate place as though she was perfectly contented to wait and wait for what how long these were the questions he asked himself was this dark house the abode of evil spirits with which she was in league and if so what results would accrue to him 
there are circumstances which suggest fantastic speculations to the most learned man. At length, he heard a footfall. He could not tell where at first, but as it approached, he saw a countryman in a carter's blouse coming across the opposite field. He got through the hedge and came toward the gate. Then the girl spoke in her strong voice and north country accent. But Skelton would hardly have known the voice again. It was so soft and sad. I've been waiting on ye, Johnny. Some women think shame to be first at the trysting, but that's not me when I loves ye true. At this, Skelton, by an impulse of honour, thought to pass out of earshot, and then another motive held him listening. He thought of the ghostly thing he had seen by this girl, of the wild tale the ploughman had told, the passion of investigation, which had grown lusty by long exercise, rose within him, triumphing over his personal inclinations. Too much was at stake to miss a chance like this. Honor in this situation seemed like a flimsy sentiment. He waited for the answer of the girl's lover with breathless interest. The man was evidently a fine young fellow, tall and strong, and when he spoke it was not without a touch of manly indignation in his tone. If you love me true, Jen, I can't think what the meaning of your doings is. It's two years since you came to live in the Glen, and you can't say if you've not understood my meaning plain since the first I saw you. It's to take you to church and take care of you as a woman ought to be took care of by a man. And you know I could do it, Jen, for my wages is good. But you've shied and shied whenever you've seen me and balked and balked when you couldn't shy so as no skittish mare is half so bad. Because, Johnny, I wouldn't have your heart broke the way mine is. I love you too true for that. But what's to hinder that we may be like other folks is? There's troubles comes to all, but we can bear them like the rest. What's to hinder? I thought there was someone else, and that you didn't like. God knows, Jen. If that had been the way, I'd never have troubled you again. But last night, when we heard your mother was took bad, and mother and me stepped round to see what we could do, and you let on as you did have a caring for me, I says, let's be cried in the church, so as your mother could die happy, if die she must. But when you says no... And as you'd meet me here and tell me why, I was content to wait and come here. And now, what I want to know is, why? What's to hinder, Jen? Ye knows as well as me the tales about me, Johnny. Tales? said the young man passionately. What tales? All along I've knocked down any man as would say a word against you. Aye, but the women, Johnny, you couldn't knock them down. That's why a woman's tales all us the worst. 
and what can they say? The worst is that if any man comes nigh you for a kiss or the like of that, and no offence, Jen, but you're an uncommonly tidy girl to kiss, he sees another man betwixt himself and you. Fools they be to believe such trash. If you'd give me the leave, which I'm not the fella to take without you say the word, I'd soon show as no shadder had come betwixt. He came a step closer, reproachful in his frank respect, as if he would claim the liberty he asked, but she drew back, holding up her hand to ward him off. I believe you half believe the nonsense yourself, Jen. Heaven knows, Johnny, I've reason to believe it weel. None knows better nor me. It's that I've come to tell you to-night, and there's nought for it but we mun part. And if I trouble your peace staying here in the glen, I'll go away out of your sight. It wasn't a wish of mine to bring you trouble. None knows better nor me how hard trouble's to bear. Her voice trembled as if with some physical pain. He only answered, by a sound of incredulous surprise. I'll tell you the whole aunt, Johnny. You sees, we lived in Yarm, mother and me. Mother, she sewed books for a book-binding man, and we'd a little coming in as father had saved. Well, mother, she was feared less art falling to rough ways like, and she kept me in a good bit, and there was a man as helped in the bookbinding. She stopped, and then said half under her breath, His name was Dan'l. Dan'l McGare it was. Go on, Jen. He was a lean man, and white to look at. He was very pious, and knowed lots of things. Least, I don't know if he was pious, for he didn't go to church, but... He'd his own thoughts of things, and he was steady and kept himself to himself. He never told me his thoughts of things. He said it, it unsettled me like. But he taught me reading, and mother, she liked his coming constant to see us. As far as I knows, he was a good man. But I tell you, Johnny, that man had a will whatsoever. Anything Dan'l McGare wanted, that thing he mun have. If he died in the getting. He was about forty, and I was nigh on twenty. It was after he'd taught me reading, and whenever I'd go out here or there, or do this or that he didn't like, he'd turn white as snow, and tremble like a tree stem in the wind, and dare me to do anything as he didn't like. You see, he always had that power over mother to make her think like him. But I wouldn't give in to him. If I'd give in, well, I don't know what he'd a comed. God knows what did come were bad enow. She stopped speaking and towed the damp ground, crushing her boot into the frosty mud and drawing it backwards and forwards as she stood against the gate. Go on, Jen. Ye sees what he will to get, that he mun have, and at the end 
he will to have me, mine, body, and soul. It a had me, only I made a stand for my life. Mother, she was all on his side, only she didn't want for me to do what I wouldn't, but she cried like and talked to his goodness, and Daniel, he wouldn't ask an out, or I could have told him my mind and a done with it, but he went on giving us and paying things, and mother, she took it all, till I was fairly mad with the shame and anger on it. I don't say as I acted as I thought. I know what I'd a power over him to drive him wild like with a smile or a soft word, and power's awful dangerous for a young thing. It's like as if God gave the wind a will of its own and didn't hold it in his own hands. Then I feared a Dan'l's power over mother and gave in times when I ought to a help my own and I liked to have him for a servant to me and I led him on like. So it went on, he never doubted I'd marry with him and I held out for my life and at the end some words we had made things worse. Twas in spring, in March, I think. He walked out miles and miles on the bad roads to bring me the first flowers. I was bookbinding then, out late at night, and I come home to find he had left them for me. Snowdrops they was, and moss with a glint of green light on it, like sun shining through the trees. And there was a grey pigeon's feather he'd picked up somewheres, all clean and unruffed, like a bit of the sky at the dawn. And there was a twig with a wee pink toadstool on it, all pink and red. The sight of them fairly made me mad. Twas bad enough to buy me with money all the things money can buy, but it seemed he'd take the very thoughts of God Almighty and use them to get his will. I were mad, but if he had come to our house, I couldn't a spoke for mother's being there, so I just took them bits of spring in my hand and went out in the dark to his house and went into his room and threw him on the floor and stamped him with my foot, and I told him he'd sneak round to bind me to him and as how I'd die first. I was mad and talked till I couldn't speak for my voice give out and that wasn't soon. He just sat still hearing me, but he was white and shook like a man with the palsy. They said he'd had fits once and that made him nervous, but I didn't think of him like that. He was strong, for he could make most all men do as he wanted. He was spoiling my life with his strength, and I didn't think of him as weakly. When I'd raged at him, and couldn't say more. I went out and was going home in the dark, howling by the wall, as weak as a baby, and just before I got home, I seed him stand just in front of me. I thought he'd runned after me. Maybe he did. But I thought since, maybe not, that his body mayn't have been there at all. But anyway, I seed him stand just afore me, with his eyes large and like fire, and him all white and trembling. He said, I tell ye, Jen, I will have ye mine, and as long as I live, 
no other man shall. And with that, I went past him into the house. Go on, Jen, said the carter. All I knows is that the word he spoke was a true word. Next day, they comed and telled us. He was found, all paralysed in his chair, and he couldn't move nor speak. From that time, the doctors had sometimes come from a long way off. They said as there was something strange about his sickness. I don't know what they said. I never seed him again. There's part of him lies in the bed, and the parish feeds him, and the doctors, they talk about him. I never seed him again since that night, but I knows what he said was true, and there's many a man as had seed him near me since that day. I tell you, Johnny, there's trouble to face in this world worse nor death. Not worse nor own death, for that's most times a good thing, but worse near the death of them we love most true, and worse near parting in this world, Johnny, and worse almost than sin itself. But thank God, not quite worse than sin. But I never knowed, lad, how bad my own trouble was, though it's almost drove me hard at times, not wrecking much what I said or did. I never knowed, my lad, how bad it was till I knowed it was your trouble too. The young carter stood quite silent. His blue blouse glimmered white in the darkness and flapped a little in the wind. But he stood still as a rock, with his strong arms crossed upon his breast, and the silence seemed filled with the expression of thoughts for which words would have been useless. It was evident that her strong emotion had brought to his mind a conviction of the truth of her words, which could not have been conveyed by the words alone. So they stood there, he and she, in all the rugged power of physical strength confronted with their life's problem. At last, after they had been silent a long time, and it seemed that he had said many things and that she had answered him, he appeared suddenly to sum up his thoughts to their conclusion and stretched out both his strong arms to take her and all her griefs into his heart. It seemed in the darkness as though he did clasp her and did not, for she gave a low, terrible cry and fled from him, a cry such as a spirit might give, who having ascended to heaven's gate with toil and prayer, falls backward into hell, and she ran from him. It seemed that with only her human strength she could not have fled so fast. He followed her, dashing with all his strength into the darkness. They went towards the village, and in the mud their footfalls were almost silent. The listener came out of his hiding and went back on the road by which he had come. End of section 15. Recording by James McAndrew, San Francisco, California.